If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Merry Christmas Eve, friends. Will you bow your heads with me? This is one of those holy nights that we usually don't have to work too hard to express our gratitude, Holy One. We don't know if it's the carols or the candles or both, but the spirit of this night overwhelms us in the best of ways. Some of us are grateful for family recipes and crowded tables. Some of us are glad for slower pace and lighter schedules, while the rest of us delight in doing all the holiday activities and chosen presentations and performances. We are delighted by bells and songs and Christmas trees and for children who are about to explode with anticipation and for neighbors who drop off cookies. But in the face of this undeniable joy, we still bring weary and worried hearts to you this night. There are empty seats at the table and we cannot be consoled. Some of us are in a hospital room or having to drop the kids off at the other parent's house. We are crunching numbers and budgets and deciding what bills to pay. And our hearts are ever tuned to the news, constantly reminded that the world is not as it should be. This is why we have gathered so we can hear a story about a star in the sky, shepherds in the field, and a baby in a manger a story that we have heard before, but we want to hear again for the first time because we trust that you are still speaking. In this quiet moment, we drop our shoulders, relax our hands, and still our spirits to receive the truth in these ancient words of joy and hope. We are listening with our whole hearts to this story about peace on earth that is to come. We pray in the name of Jesus, the good news of great joy for all people. Amen. A poem by Reverend Sarah Speed. The world may feel like one long stretch of night like an endless winter or a hovering rain cloud, 
and life may feel like walking into the wind, an uphill climb in every direction. But we can still open the door. We can add chairs to the table. We can keep clean sheets on the guest bed, just in case. We can hold the elevator and learn pronouns. We can tell stories of belonging and take turns listening. We can call each other by name and plant trees for our children. We can insist every single day that there is room. There is room for you. We can't calm every storm, but we can turn on the porch lights. Our reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It feels like we should have a stronger reaction to this story primarily because of the angel situation. A whole angel band shows up in the night sky and all of us are like, oh, my favorite part, how lovely. <laughs> but this, I think, is because for so long, religious art has depicted angels looking either like Greco-Roman supermodels or cartoon babies with halos and harps. And that is not what we find in the Bible. In the text, they are terrifying. We know this because every single character in the Bible tells us so. This is why every angel immediately says, do not be afraid, because that is what you say to someone who is very afraid. We also know that angels are visually scary because of the descriptions that we find in scripture. The prophet Isaiah describes seraphims with six wings, with two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And the prophet Ezekiel says this of the angels he saw, their entire body, their rims, their spokes, their wings, and the wheels 
were full of eyes all around. Each had four faces. The first face was that of a cherub. The second face was that of a human being. The third face, that of a lion. And the fourth, that of an eagle. That does not sound lovely. That sounds like something from a Ridley Scott horror movie. Of course, it may be that since there has been an angel in almost every single lesson text that we've read, making our way to Bethlehem, it's a bit ho-hum. Like, oh, more angels? Gabriel makes not one, but two appearances in just the first chapter of Luke. First telling Zechariah that he and Elizabeth will have a son, and then to Mary to tell her that she has found favor with God and she will have a son. So by the time we get to Christmas Eve and read the story of another angel of the Lord appearing, we are unbothered. No big deal. Even when a whole bunch of them appear at once, we just keep reading as if it's normal and fine. As we read in the story, though, the shepherds are more emotionally alive than we are, and they respond appropriately, which is to say, with terror. They are frightened, filled with extreme fear. There are typically four different responses when humans find themselves in a situation like this. Fawn, fight, flight, and freeze. These are our body's natural reactions to danger so that we can act quickly to protect ourselves. The fawn response aims to please, appease, and pacify the threat in an effort to keep ourselves safe from further harm. The flight response involves combativeness towards the perpetrator. The flight response involves literally or metaphorically running from the actual or perceived danger. And then there is the freeze response wherein we stay completely still and get ready for the next move. In theory, the freeze response gives a person time to assess the situation. And this seems to be the instinct of the shepherds. They stay put. They do not offer the angels anything to appease them. They do not scatter. And they do not draw their weapons. And this allows the angel to start his monologue. Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And then things escalate rather quickly. A multitude of heavenly hosts, the Greek is actually army, an army of angels appear and start singing. And still, the angels stay put. I mean, the shepherds stay put. It seems that these caretakers of sheep received a double dose of what Rachel Carson wishes for all of us. In her book, The Sense of Wonder, she writes, If I had influence with the good fairy who is supposed to preside over the christening of children, I should ask that her gift to each child in the world be a sense of wonder, so indestructible that it would last throughout life as an unfailing antidote against the boredom and disenchantments of later years, the sterile preoccupation with things that are artificial, the alienation from the sources of our strength. 
the shepherds really sound like they have indeed been gifted with wonder, what researchers Ulrich Wedgar and Johannes Wageman define as a wish to understand. The text says it this way, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. They were inspired, fascinated, curious. They wanted to learn more. I'm not sure we would have responded the same way. Definitely not likely to be our primary instinct. It's even hard to say that curiosity would be our secondary or even tertiary response. It seems there are more Marxists today than ever, by which I mean followers of Groucho, not Karl. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm against it, Marx sang in his 1932 film, Horse Feathers. But not these guys, not the shepherds. They were intrigued. Let's find out more about this, they said to themselves, and then headed straight into town. When they found Mary, Joseph, and the baby, the shepherds wonder switched to awe. They were amazed. Awe is a bit different from wonder, although we often use those words interchangeably. If wonder inspires us to learn more, go deeper, and be curious, awe inspires the wish to let shine, to acknowledge, and to unite. When feeling awe, we tend to simply stand back and observe to provide a stage for the phenomenon to shine. Dr. Dasher Keltner, psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, and author of Awe, says that awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. Researchers have found that awe leads people to cooperate share resources and sacrifice for others and causes them to fully appreciate the value of others and see themselves with more humility. Some researchers even believe that awe-inducing events may be one of the fastest and most powerful methods of personal change and growth. Well, that certainly sounds like what the weary world needs more of. Pe more people who want to cooperate share, sacrifice, appreciate the values of others, and be more humble in a world full of people who disagree about just everything, this might be something that a majority of us could agree on. Except that this doesn't seem to be what it takes, a majority in agreement. I mean, as we know, a majority of Americans say that gun violence is a major problem. A majority of Americans also say that it's too easy to legally obtain a gun in this country. And a majority of Americans say that we should strengthen gun laws. And yet, legislative action hardly reflects all of this agreement. And in fact, just weeks after the shooting at Covenant School in Nashville that killed six people, including three nine-year-olds, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signed off on additional protections for gun and ammunition dealers. 
If, if that is what happens with something as well-supported as a reasonable gun control, well, it doesn't seem like touchy-feely awe stands much of a chance. If only angels were still making visits, maybe that would do it. I mean, I want to believe in us enough to think that if an angel appeared sharing good news of great joy for all people, that we would indeed respond in awe and wonder. Surely we're just as primed for that as the shepherds. I mean, maybe even more so. I mean, after all, we are people who know what it's like to work in cubicles. We are all too familiar with the relentlessness of packing lunch for our kids for school every single day. We know all too well what it's like to be alone in the house, waiting for someone, anyone, to call or come by and break up the monotony. Surely, if an angel interrupted our regularly scheduled programming, we would respond accordingly. Perhaps it's not that our awe is broken, but that we need something really bright and shiny to inspire us. But as we know, angel visits have really dried up. We are more likely to say we've seen a ghost than an angel. But here's the thing. We don't need an appearance by an angel. Awe, it turns out, is something we attune ourselves to, something we cultivate. Experiencing awe comes from a perceived vastness as well as something that challenges us to rethink our previously held ideas so while many of us associate awe with dramatic, life-changing events, like an angel visit, the truth is that awe is part of everyday life. In 2016, Dr. Keltner visited San Quentin State Prison in California where he heard inmates speak about finding awe in the light, air, the imagined sound of a child, and reading. The experience changed the way he thought about awe, so Dr. Keltner teamed up with two other researchers to enlist people across America and China to keep journals about their awe experiences. He found out that people were having two or three of them every week, and it made him obvious to him that we can just take a breath and look around it's indeed all around us. One of the most reliable ways to experience awe, Dr. Keltner found, was in the simple act of witnessing the goodness of others. When we see others doing small gestures, we start feeling better and are also more likely to perform good deeds. However, goodness in others is often overlooked. Our public discourse and academic discourse sort of forgets about how much good people can and want to do. Author and mindfulness teacher Sharon Salzberg also believes in the importance of this interpersonal wonder. She recommends paying attention to your neighborhood bus driver or grocery clerk 
looking for those daily moments of kindness. If we notice those around us who are dedicated to goodness or having a better family life than the one they were raised in or being good to their neighbors, we can strengthen our own sense of awe. Salzburg describes awe as the absence of self-obsession. And awe is the remedy for this. It helps us by getting us out of our own heads and realizing our place in our larger context in our communities. We cultivate awe through interest and curiosity. So if we're distracted too much, we're not really paying attention. Mindfulness helps us focus and lessen the power of distractions. If you work on mindfulness, all will come. And studies show that people who are meditating and praying, which is another way of saying mindfulness, well, they also experience awe more often, which certainly makes awe sound like a spiritual practice that we do as a matter of faith. Beloveds, this is why we're telling a story that we've heard so many times before, because it's a story of very ordinary people whose hearts were open to the possibility of hope, peace, joy, and love. People curious enough to go and see, people receptive and responsive, people willing to wonder which led to awe, that secret sauce of cooperating, sharing resources, sacrificing, appreciating others, and walking humbly. But this story is also a reminder we don't actually need anything bright and shiny to inspire us to that world-shifting feeling of awe. For if we just follow the pattern of the story, while the angels inspired the shepherds to wonder, to go and see, it wasn't until they saw the child lying in the manger that they were all amazed, that they were in awe. And it was, after all, just a baby, at worst crying and fussing like babies do, or at best sleeping like sometimes newborns do. Nothing fancy, just a baby. But in their hearts, the belief that peace on earth and good news of great joy for all people could be found in that one, that one little heart, well, that leads to the awe-inspiring idea that peace on earth and good news of great joy for all people can be born anywhere, anytime, which means it is possible, no matter how desperate and despairing things seem, in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, along our southern border, in our political debates, and most importantly, in our own hearts and homes, that hope, peace, joy, and love are possible in all of those places at all times. The text tells us that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, living in awe and wonder. Let's be ready to do the same. Amen. Amen.
You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.